Amen. Man, thank you, Twyla. Thank you, worship team. I don't know. I don't know how it sounded out there, but you guys were on fire this morning. My soul. It was awesome. I had fun. Praise God. He is worthy. Okay. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We are going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. And uh, this is a long one. 80 verses. 80 verses. So it's going to be an all-day service. Um, no, no, no. I'm, uh, I told Red this morning, my priority, one of my priorities is timeliness. So um, I'm going to invite my readers up. Skylar and Sophie have agreed against their will. No, they were very willing, very willing to, to help me read this. Um, I'd invite you to grab a Bible next to you. Grab a Bible, go to Luke chapter 1. And a uh, little bit of a, uh, a tease this morning. This is the incarnation part one, okay? So you have to come back, back tonight for part two, all right? So we're going to read through Luke 1 this morning, and then we'll read through Luke 2 um, tonight. Um, so I hope you'll join us at 5 o'clock tonight. Um, but we're going to read through Luke 1 and uh, do our best, okay? So follow along. Starting in verse 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. So Luke says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the first to write to you in an orderly sequence. Most honorable Theophilus. That's interesting. He's, he's actually writing this gospel to an individual named Theophilus. And he's saying, hey, I investigated all of these things from the beginning. Okay, so that is, that is what I'm presenting to you. So that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the disobedient to under to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a, a prepared people. How can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. 
The angel, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with a favor in, in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Gabriel predicts Jesus' birth. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found a favor with God. Now listen. You with me? That's what it says. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see when the sound for you see when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. 
and Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her, her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child of the eighth, on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. My wife, real quick, sidebar. My wife brings up a great point here. Uh, is he deaf or mute? He's mute. So why in the world are they treating him like he's deaf as well? They're motioning to him. I don't know what they're trying to do, but he's probably just looking at them like they're idiots. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and Prophesied. Prophesied, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has, ra he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant. <clears throat> Just as he spoke by the mouth of, the, of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy coven covenant, covenant. Mm -hmm. covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. A new child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Awesome. Hey, thank you, girls, so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So as we kind of briskly walk through this chapter, this introduction to the gospel, our, our kind of loose working theme for not just this morning, but kind of for the whole day is this, that the Christmas story is a vital part, a vital part of the gospel story. That the Christmas story does not stand alone just as a cute sentiment once a year, but it is a vital part of the gospel itself. And we're going to talk about that today. So pray with me, church. Father, thank you for your mercy, of which I am like a ridiculous re re receiver of. And I just thank you for that. Thank you for your presence here today. We need you. We are dependent on you, Lord. So give us listening ears. Give us hearts that are open. And Lord, make us more passionate, 
knowledgeable, wise worshipers of you, the true and living God. In the areas where we have deceived ourselves, Lord, please bring correction. Chasten us. We love you. We need you. Open our eyes to the wonder of Christ. You are worthy of our praise. Thank you for stepping out of heaven and becoming an embryo, a fetus, a baby, becoming man. Lord, we praise you. Would you receive glory from us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Daryl is out on a much-deserved vacation. So, Daryl, we love you, um, and I mean that. Uh, Daryl has become a friend of mine uh, over this, these, these many months, and uh, I hope you guys are thankful for him as well. He will be back next week. Yeah, come on. I was hoping. Come on, guys. James, turn the congregation mics up so we can hear the applause. No. All right. So let's dive into this. You awake? You alert? You ready for Christmas? Awesome. So Luke gives us some context in the opening of his gospel. He is writing about the life of Jesus and acknowledges that he's not the first to do this. But he is writing his own work to establish the certainty of the events that have been made widely known. And as he starts, and he starts with an old couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. They have lived good lives, doing what good Jews should be doing. They are both descendants of Aaron. Remember Moses' brother? God made Aaron the, the first priest of the nation of Israel to represent the nation to God. And in that line, they are both part of that line. So that means Zechariah was a priest. He represented God to the people and fulfilled the sacrifices and traditions God had given his people through Moses. He carried out Leviticus. He carried out the, the institutions in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. That's what his job was. That's what he did. So in a human sense, these are good people. These are good people. But Luke includes the heartbreaking fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth were never able to what? To have kids. They were never able to have kids. And now it's too late. So it would seem. There's a day when Zechariah is chosen to fulfill his duties in the temple. Okay? Because by this time, the, the line, there were so many in each tribe. There's so many priests. Zechariah is not like serving every day. You were called up for a specific time. Okay, Zechariah, in the town of whatever, it's your turn. Come fulfill your priestly duties. So, so this is what's going on here. And here are some of God's people doing what they should be doing. They're outside praying. They're waiting for the Messiah. They are acknowledging and worshiping the Lord. They're obeying his covenant and its requirements, which if you look at Israel's history, was not always their track record. It really wasn't. So they're trying their best now. They're trying to do it right. And Gabriel shows up and turns everything upside down, in a sense. Now, this is the best news that Zechariah probably could have heard. But think of how overwhelming it would be to hear what Zechariah heard. Have you ever wanted something? You were looking forward to something that was going to happen. You were going to go to Disneyland or, you know, somewhere or just even smaller than that. And something happened. I'm sure COVID messed a lot of things up. So 
maybe that brings up some, some memories of, of, of disappointment, of that's not going to happen. That's not going to, that's not going to come true. But then, so you adjust. So you go through the grieving process that whatever you wanted is not going to happen. And then you adjust and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm accepting reality as it is. And then at the last minute, it turns around and it's like, oh, actually, you know, those, those seats on the plane are available. No, actually, um, that position is open. You know, whatever it is. And by that time you receive the good news, your heart is not ready to receive it. Have you ever experienced that? Something like that? It's like, great. It's kind of too late. I imagine, and, and kind of based off of Zachariah's response, I, I imagine that's a little bit what he's experiencing. And I think even as a church, we've experienced that recently, right? We, we had a candidate. I mean, I thought it was a done deal. It was looking like we we're going to have a pastor in January, hopefully, that it was going through. Like, this is, what's, this is what was going to happen. And then God had other plans. And, and now we're still waiting. And now we've adjusted. And so if that candidate were to come now and say, oh, actually, I am available for the position. It, uh, it's it's, it's kind of too late. Like we're already moving on to, to other things. We, we've already adjusted, right? And I want to take a, a, a quick sidebar here. This has been on my heart this week. Um, I, I don't know about you. I, I imagine some of you are like me. I, I'm pretty tired of waiting. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. Okay, we're, we're tired of waiting. Here's what I want to caution us with, church. And I want to encourage us in this. When we are done waiting, that's usually when we need to start waiting. Now, that's not comforting, is it? But this is the way of the Spirit. When your flesh is done waiting, it's like, great, now you can wait in the Spirit. Now you can start walking by faith. Because your fleshly expectations have been let down you have nothing, you're, you're out of gas. Now it's the spirit. Now it's eagle's wings. Now it's the shadow of the most high. And I have thought a lot about this verse that Red and Debbie have brought up to me so many times and many others. Uh, Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. And I've thought a lot about that. I'm like, Paul, how could you say that? If I'm tired, I'm tired. What do you mean don't be tired? Don't be weary. What that means, I believe, is, is that do not assume that because you are tired, you're fatigued, you're weary, that, that it's, it's time to rest, that it's time to give up. It's time to stop waiting. It's time to take action now. No, do not be weary. Continue trusting the Lord. And I want to caution you all on that. And I just want to be clear about something too. Some of you have brought this up to me. I, I am not confident that, that that sounds too weak. I, I am confident that, that I am not the next pastor here, okay? So let me just, let's get that off the table so it's not part of the discussion. I think a lot of us, and including me, when I start like considering, the reason I'm doing that is because of impatience, okay? So, so let's just get that off the table. Are we waiting on the Lord? Yes, we're waiting on the Lord, okay? So I just wanted, I really wanted you guys to hear that from me too, okay? Keep waiting. We're, we're okay. We are well-doing, we are well-doing, and some of you need to say that to yourselves. Some of you need to say that. It feels weird to say that. I am doing well. Doggone it, I'm doing well, right? Not in my flesh, but in the Spirit, because He's with me, and I believe He's with us. So hold fast. 
people from the outside, don't judge them. If they, you feel like they're judging you, like why hasn't it happened already? Why don't you guys have a pastor by now? Be patient. You don't need to have the best answer for them. You can feel stupid and just say, we're waiting on the Lord. That's okay, all right? I think the pastor search team is being very diligent. I really do from everything I hear, from all the indications I have, okay? Not trying to put on a face. Daryl, no one told me to say this. This is on my heart. I actually called Daryl this morning to ask him, can I say this? So anyway, but, and Daryl reminded me too that this is the position of the Jews. They're waiting on their Messiah. And when he comes, you know what happens? Well, there's 30 more years of waiting first. He's here, right? I mean, barely anyone knows that. They just knew, oh man, like 15 years ago or something, like this crazy stuff happened down in Bethlehem. These shepherds lost their brains and they're like talking about these angels showing up. That maybe these stories are circulating, right? But when Jesus comes, they're disappointed. Like this is not the Messiah we wanted. We wanted something else. And when the news, they finally realize when, when Jesus is preaching, when Paul is preaching, hey, it's repentance. He saved you from your sins. Their, their hearts are already closed, right? And so in some ways, this may be a little bit of where Zechariah is, but the angel actually gives him what he asked for. He's like, how will I know? Well, he's like, well, you're not going to be able to speak. That's how you're going to know. Because he didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak. And when you try to talk and you can't, you'll know. <laughs> that this is true, okay? This is supernatural. Now, these are just people. Zachariah, Elizabeth, Mary, they're just people, guys. But they are called by God into something way bigger than themselves. But God still cares for them individually. Look at the first thing Gabriel says about John. He will be a joy and a delight for Zachariah. I mean, this is not, this is important right here. This is not just a story about how God does a miracle for a couple who really wants a child. This is the child. If you read the last verse of Malachi, it's talking about John. It's talking about this kid right here. The last verse of the Old Testament. And this is the child prophesied to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Lord himself. Gabriel says some epic things about John. I mean, he does. If you look at it, he says he's going to do this. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. But the first thing that Gabriel says is he's going to be a joy and a delight for you, Zechariah. And I love this because it tells us something about God's heart, that he's not just using people. He's not just, okay, you guys will do, I'll do a miracle through you, I'll get the glory. Like he cares for them. He says, hey, this child's going to bring you delight. He's inviting them into this grand mission and he's blessing them as he welcomes them. And like we see so many times through scripture, God chooses to do things the hard way, the surprising way, the way that makes us wake up and pay attention and give him glory because he's a miracle worker. So our anticipation builds with the supernatural conception of John, who in 30-ish years is going to prepare people's hearts to turn, their, to turn to their true Messiah, Jesus. Now, let's switch to what Gabriel tells Mary. Okay, let's transition. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John, Gabriel shows up to probably a teenager at this time living in the nowhere town of Nazareth engaged to a guy named Joseph. So they're just living life like the rest of billions of people that have existed before them and now after them. And then everything has changed. God sends Gabriel to Mary and the first part of the message again is personal, personal, 
good news. Favored woman, the Lord is with you. Just to start things out, Mary, this is who you are. You're someone that's favored by God and he's with you. Now, the rest of the message is pretty overwhelming. Israel is just one small nation, one of the small nations, okay? Occupied by the massive civilization empire of Rome. This is the context. And Mr. Angel Gabe, the, what he says, first, he's going to be called the son of the most high, God. Then the kingdom's coming back. The one that, you know, from the line of David, all those kings in your history, that kingdom's coming back. Um, oh, and third, his kingdom's actually never going to end. He's going to reign forever. Uh, that's pretty big news. And I, and I love, I mean, it's, it's so common to us that we're just like, yes, this is the story. But do you realize the first thing out of Mary's mouth? All this epic stuff. And the first thing she's like, but, but I'm a virgin. Now, I don't know if that's the first thing she said, but Luke knew that's what we needed to hear. But she's like, I, I'm going to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek here for a second. But she's like, yo, I know what this is, but I'm pure. You're not going to catch me slipping, right? Me and Joseph have been good. I ain't saying it's easy, but, but I'm pure, okay? No, nothing's in here. All right, we good. We good. Now, I don't, I don't know, but, but it does strike me odd that that's the first thing that she says. Um, just to be clear, Mr. Gabriel. Um, but we needed to understand that this truly was a virgin birth. This is critical to our faith, actually. This is one of the things we're willing to die for, that Jesus was born a virgin. And church, let me remind us, we, we can't be wishy-washy on this point. We can't be wishy-washy on this point. We can't, uh, I mean, I think he was born of a virgin. I don't know. No, it matters. And here's why. Because the virgin birth establishes that Jesus is both God, man and God. It also establishes that Jesus did not have a sin nature inherited from Adam through his father Joseph. Wasn't Mary a sinner too? Yes, absolutely. But he was not conceived through the natural process of sex like the rest of humanity. He was conceived supernaturally from the power of God. He, he wasn't born through the line of Adam in the sense because he was the new Adam. Are you with me? Like the first Adam messed everything up. Jesus is the second Adam. We talked about this in Romans like years ago at this point. <laughs> Jesus is the new Adam. Theologian and professor Millard Erickson says this, the doctrine of the virgin birth is a reminder that our salvation is supernatural. The emphasis is that salvation does not come through human effort, nor is it a human accomplishment. So also, the virgin birth points to the helplessness. James, can you turn me down? Because I want to yell more. So also, the virgin birth points to the helplessness of humans to initiate even the first step in the process. That our salvation from the beginning is, is clear that it's not of human origin. Because even his birth was not of human origin. It doesn't happen like it usually happens. Look at Gabe's response to Mary 
In verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Because this is going to happen through the Spirit, not the flesh. If it happens through the flesh, sin nature. And look at Mary's response. My soul. See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. I want to stay on that longer, but I'm not going to. But I wish that my response to the simple things God gives me and commands me to do was that. Like, like Job, shall we receive good from the Lord and not trouble? Whatever it is, Lord, I will receive it because I am your servant. May it be done to me as you have said. So Mary goes to visit Elizabeth to see what Gabriel told her was true. And as she enters the house, the Holy Spirit invades the situation, and Elizabeth and John inside her womb are responding to the presence of Jesus inside Mary's womb. So Gabriel's words are confirmed, and I love what Mary says next. Let's go and read the passage real quick, okay? Let's look at Mary's response in verse 46. You there? Say amen. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. I mean, she is exploding with praise. Do not get the idea that this is some monk ritual, like, thing she's citing. My soul magnifies the Lord, for he has done great things for me. No! She is exploding with praise. She is like prophesying. This is who God is. This is what he's done for me. She is exalting and praising God, declaring his character and his works. He brings down the mighty and those who trust in themselves. And he exalts those who understand they are in need of his grace and mercy. Those who understand, man, I really need God's mercy. I really need his grace because I am not getting this right. Mary understands that it's not her goodness and worthiness that convinced God to choose her for this incredible calling. That's why she's so amazed. It was God's kindness, mercy, grace, and worthiness that caused him to choose her. And quickly, I just want to point something out. You listening? A lot of times we can treat Mary like, oh, Poor thing. Look how much she had to go through. Now, there is merit in that. There is merit in acknowledging the challenges that Mary saved. What? Mary faced. <laughs> but, but is she thinking, oh, poor me. I'm just so holy and I just love God so much. I will sacrifice my wonderful life and dreams to endure this task he has called me to. Do you realize that's not Mary's perspective here? She's not bemoaning the situation. 
She says, all generations will call me blessed. She's like, I'm that lowly one that God is exalted. Get this, because in our modern culture, that is very, I'm going to be careful with my word choices here, so I might not say any words, um, but has an agenda that is not, um, let's move on. Let's move on, because I'm not going to go anywhere good there. But, but we want to paint this light that, that Mary is, is like, man, she's suffering so much, and she was scorned and ridiculed, which was probably true. But this is what I love, is that her perspective is in the Spirit. She's alive in Christ, so she doesn't care what the world thinks. She's not concerned with Joseph here. She doesn't even mention Joseph. She is concerned and consumed with God. Man, may that teach us something. Yeah, let's party. Let's go. <laughs> That's a good song. Okay. She's overflowing with praise. She actually loses sight of herself. Mary loses sight of herself in this. She starts by praising God for what he's done for her. Do you see that? She's like, God has been good to me. He's been good to me. But then she turns to the bigger picture of God's nature and relationship with his people Israel. Similar to Zechariah, when God opens Zechariah's mouth, is he talking about how glad he is to be able to have his voice back? No. He's prophesying the goodness of God and giving thanks for God's faithfulness to his promises and God's people. They both realize God is awesome. He's doing something so much bigger than me. They acknowledge, right? Elizabeth acknowledges too. The Lord has taken my, away my disgrace. There is a acknowledgement of personal goodness, of, of personal kindness and mercy, but it doesn't stay there. They get lost in the bigger picture of who God is and what he's doing. And so what is our response today? What is our response? Because I hope you have a response. I hope I have a response. Our response is to do what we say we do. When we, when we come to church and we claim to be people of Christ, and that is we worship him. We worship God, just like the shepherds and wise men. We worship. We say, he's the one. He's the Messiah. He has done it. He has accomplished salvation. He is worthy of my life. He is worthy of my obedience. He is worthy. So this is our takeaway this morning. And in some sense, a little teaser for tonight. Because we haven't even gotten to Luke 2. We haven't even gotten to it. Our response to Christmas is worship. Ascribing worth to God. He is so good. We do that through thanksgiving. We do that through honoring his name with our words and our behaviors. By acknowledging that every good thing we receive is from him. And proclaiming his goodness. Has God been good to you this year? Man, I don't know about you, but it's been a tough year. And I know some of you are going through it. It's been a tough year for me. But I can look back and be like, wow, when I was so lost in my own pain and suffering, God was still so good to me. God was still so kind to me. And I didn't see it then. And if I saw it, I wasn't really able to enjoy it. But looking back, I'd be like, no. But he was still so good. And I, oh, my soul, I can't believe how much mercy he had in that situation. 
I can't believe how kind he was. Is he, did he really do that? Did he really, was he really that patient with me? Yes, yes, yes. The gospel's good news. The Christmas story is good news. So come back tonight for incarnation part two. So let's worship God. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to worship him and hear some announcements be on our way, okay? Father, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for your word. Lord, we acknowledge your presence here with us today. We lift our hands and we proclaim he is good. In my trials, in my pain, I can't see the sun right now through the clouds, but he is good all the same. He is good and he will accomplish good for me. And in the generations to come, I will be called blessed because of what God has done for me. Because of how he saved me from my sin first. That he justified me in Christ. He took away my sin. He gave me a, a, a record of righteousness. He loves me forever. I am safe in him. So Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, in our celebrating, may we understand again in those little moments of just, oh yeah, that's right, this good food I'm enjoying, this, this being with family, these opening of gifts. It is, all a, it is all a reminder. It is all a celebration, a tradition to help me remember how good you are and what you've done, Lord. God, we praise you. Thank you. Amen. Let's stand.